This is the Veterinary Project Podcast, episode 054. Welcome to the show created by vets featuring absolutely no pets. This is the Veterinary Project Podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light. Our resident veterinarians have swapped out their stethoscopes in favor of microphones to bring you the Veterinary Project Podcast, a show focused on real conversations aimed to connect this amazing profession full of remarkable people. Through the sharing of collective stories and wisdom and connecting over the many unique challenges we face, we invite you to join our community of veterinary professionals leading intentional lives. And now, here are the hosts of the Veterinary Project Podcast, Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Veterinary Project Podcast. Just had a great conversation with Dr. Phil Zeltzman. Man, that guy, he is an interesting dude and is into a lot of things. Without a doubt, this guy puts us to shame in my view and uh, really, really impressed with the conversation today. As we knew, this one's been months in the going and well worth, yeah, well worth listening to today. Phil is a very interesting character. Absolutely. Yeah, you guys are in for a treat uh, with this one. He's got lots on the go, wealth of knowledge. Uh, before we dive into that, Jonathan, what is going on your way? Uh, you know, we were talking about it pre-recording here. We're into September. Our oldest just started his first grade, which is fantastic. Got on the bus, no longer in the day home setup. Really exciting times in the light household. Yeah, that's always a fun day. I mean, social media can get negative sometimes. Um, but I think there was like International Dog Day recently. And then kids going back to school, your, your social media feed just floods with all the first day of school pictures, which always makes me smile. It's such a good day. Agreed. Um, yeah, we, we were chatting to, um, what are we, September, early September here, kind of changing of the seasons, moving out of summer into fall, one month left in Q3. So it's a pretty good time to revisit uh, goals, Q3 That's goals. Right. How, yeah, how are years coming? Yeah, pre, pre-recording you asked that, and it's interesting because I was reviewing them yesterday for from a mosaic standpoint. We have a lot of work to do to, to get these goals done in uh, a month. And the thing about goals is even if you do not come to completion by having those 90-day rocks, as I call them, um, and that's not my origination, that's for sure, uh, you've moved the post that much further. So in some of the goals that I put out, uh, I won't accomplish them by September 30th. I can see that already. But we sure are along. We sure are further along than we started, and we'd be and we are a lot further along than we'd be if we hadn't even started at all, or put those goals in place. So I'm happy. I'm not ecstatic, but I'm happy. How about yourself? Yeah, it's coming. I mean, I um, I haven't even told you. I think on my running goal, uh, the last game of ball hockey, I tore my hamstring, so I'm a little bit hobbled up. So I'm in. uh, sort of recovery rehab phase. So that is definitely going to push that 10K goal out. Um, I was listening to a really good podcast. It was a Bigger Pockets one. I think it was $4.99, but don't quote me on that. And they get into talking about integrity. Um, and, and one of the things the guy said was with integrity, like keeping your word, but then things happen, right? We all We have all these goals that we set and sometimes things come along 
and and we fall out of integrity briefly. And he touched on like not dwelling on that. Like it's okay. Forgive yourself. Don't carry like shame or resentment. You know, if you miss a workout or you miss a, a week of workout or two, it's how fast can you put that behind you, get back into integrity and move on. Because what you had said about setting goals, this is universal. I've never heard someone say otherwise. Just the simple act of setting goals, writing them down, and then taking a crack at them, you're going to be further ahead than if you did nothing, like than if you did not write them down. So you don't need to go 100%. So. And Mike, you just provided our quick tip for the day. No, this is your week for the quick tip. No, I am done. That was perfect. We have pontificated. Our listeners are going to love it, and we are not going to double them up this morning. Oh, my God. That is that is greasy, Jonathan. Just to... I love it. That's okay. What we're doing. Well, I guess that was your quick tip, everyone. You got to go back and listen to, the, to it again. There's Jonathan's quick tip for the day. Okay. I'm uh, moving in to this week's episode. As I mentioned, we have Dr. Phil Zeltzman. Phil is a traveling board-certified surgeon in Pennsylvania. He is a serial entrepreneur with a severe case of shiny object syndrome, an international speaker, consultant, columnist, blogger, podcaster, and a ridiculously long list of other fun stuff. He's the co-founder of the Veterinary Financial Summit, uh, which we get into kind of late in the podcast, uh, which is an online community and a financial conference that is coming up September 18th and 19th uh, for all the veterinary professionals in the veterinary community. I highly suggest that you check it out. So here is Dr. Phil Zeltzman. All right, welcome back everyone. Very excited for this episode. Uh, We've been trying to pin Phil down for a while. And the more I get to know you, Phil, the more interesting you are. There's always more stories that I've never heard so I'm excited. Thank you for, for joining us. Well, thank you for the invitation. You're, you're flattering me. I'm not sure it's all true, but we'll try. It is definitely true. I would say it's pretty true because, yeah, every time I talk, I'll text Jonathan and I'll be like, did you know Phil is into this as well? There's just all these different avenues that we can go down. Even this morning for the blog setup, like we're, we're going to veer off course right away here. Phil, your blog is the first blog that I've seen up to date on a veterinary site, I can't remember the last time I've seen it. And they're all written by you. They're interesting. And it looks like it's by the month. Like people need to go to your website and check this out. It's, it's, it's every three weeks. It's, um, I mean, the, the big difference is that I love writing. Many people hate writing, but I love it. I actually need to write. Uh, so I, I see so many interesting cases and, and patients that it's it's easy to share um interestingly it used to be weekly uh, oh, wow. because i do what i'm told you know people told me if <clears throat> excuse me if you want to exist in the in the world you have to write weekly you have to keep your website up to date you have to to keep it alive so fine i did what I'm, i was told and i wrote every week and i realized that it i was plenty busy so i tried every other week and it didn't change a thing. So then I tried every third week, which is where I'm at now. And it still hasn't changed a thing. It hasn't changed a thing. 
So changing the thing you're talking SEO and people being dri- driven to your to your website and or are you talking the interest that you still take in writing those blogs? Yeah, and it's pretty interesting because I get emails from people all over the country and even the world who said, well, my pet is exactly in the same situation as Kiki you wrote about six years ago. So now you need to help me. Wow. And just for our listeners, because I'm I'm cruising your website right now, it's drphilzeltzman.com. And then you can click through into blog. It looks to be like this is this is your cases that you see as a board certified surgeon. Right. These are real patients. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, it looks like a great resource uh, for, for students. So why don't you, I guess, catch everyone up here, Phil? Obviously, you're a board certified traveling surgeon. That's kind of a unique spin on it, the traveling piece. Tell us a little bit about what that looks like. As I always say, it's one of the best things I've ever done. Um, I used to work at a several brick and mortars, I'm sorry, brick and mortar practices. And it's very difficult to have any kind of freedom when you work in that setting. So I was, I was fortunate that I was exposed to mobile surgery way back when at the very, very beginning of my residency, even before, way before. So I knew of it, but it only came back to the table uh, later when I was just miserable in practice. Um, And that gave me, well, eventually it gave me the freedom I needed because I, I, now I can decide what I do, when I do it, how much I work, when I take a vacation, how long the vacation is. It's on my terms now. Yeah. So it sounds like freedom was the main driving force on that that switch. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I just don't do very well with somebody telling me what to do. Yeah. Well, that's fair. So how long did you spend in the traditional brick and mortar, you know, classic board certified surgeon setup? Um, I believe about six years. Yeah. Nice. And so with, with uh, I guess now I'm going even more niche, if, if someone is thinking of tracking as a surgeon, they hear this and they think, wow, that's pretty cool that Phil sets his own sort of schedule and travels. How does someone get in your position? You know, how do they kind of copy what you've done? I think most people start in brick and mortar practices. And then for whatever reason, they decide to go mobile. Um, occasionally it's the opposite. They start mobile. I think, I think that might have been several years ago. People started as a mobile surgeon and they got tired of driving or whatever, and, or the, their ego grew and they needed a Taj Mahal with their name on the, above the door. Uh, it, it, more recently, it's, it tends to be the opposite. People leave um, brick and mortar practices and, and end up on the road. Uh, because they want freedom, you know, because they have kids, because they, 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 they like hiking, because they, they like long vacations at the beach. Uh, it's not all that uncommon. In fact, um, to answer your question, I co-created a group of mobile surgeons 11 years ago, pretty much when I started. Uh, and we grew it from three co-founders to 115 surgeons worldwide. Most are in the U.S. and Canada, but we have a few uh, in Asia and, and Europe. No way. Is this still active? Like this is an ongoing absolutely. thing? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's called Surge. Okay. And is that a group that shares resources in terms of how to 
set yourself up for success as a traveling surgeon? Right. That's exactly it. So we have different um, ways to help. We have a coaching program. We have a conference uh, twice a year. Uh, we have a private Facebook book group where we exchange tips. We help each other with, with difficult cases. So it, it's very, uh, it, it's, a, it's a very tight knit community. It, it's pretty amazing because surgeons, you know, tend to have not always the greatest reputation, mostly ego wise, but this is a community of, of humble, generous, altruistic people. It, it, they're just amazing. And with that, Phil, if I may jump in for a second, Mike, is this surgeon setup, I see this more and more where I have surgeons that are out of a brick and mortar, but are also, depending on their contract and availability, able to do surgeries outside and go and help a GP in a surgical setup that's able to. Are those types of surgeons allowed to be in there as well too? I'm sure there's some interest there, or is it just for purely mobile surgeons? No, we're more open-minded than that. Um, so I can't remember more than a handful of people who are in that setting. Um, but there's definitely people who are sort of in between or about to go mobile in some cases. Okay. So what is that for, for people that don't know, what does a mobile surgeon setup look like? Like in terms of, you know, how many clinics are you traveling to? Is it the same clinics or are you always having to kind of look for work and it could be a one-off somewhere? Um, you know, just kind of what does that sort of range look like? Well, thanks to our best friend COVID, I certainly don't have to look for work. I have to look for more time. Um, so generally speaking, uh, we leave in the morning with a, with a car uh, full of equipment and we go to one to four clinics in a day. Uh, the ideal setting is to have multiple cases in one practice because it makes us much more efficient. Uh, and ideally, also, we try to group clinics in the same vicinity so we don't waste too much time on the road. Of course, it doesn't always work out that way. Um, I think on average, you know, people do, are able to, to help two to four patients a day. It doesn't seem like a big number, but, you know, these tend to be big surgeries and sometimes... On a bad day, there's an hour between two different two clinics. Do you have your own tech with you full time? I do now. Didn't used to. Yeah, so way back when I used to scrub my own instruments, rewrap, autoclave, everything myself. Now I do have help, quote, on the road, which has changed my life. And so with that, I mean, obviously you you form probably some pretty deep relationships with the GP clinic and the staff there. Um, you know, is that something that just develops, like they'll call you and you try the first case. And if there's a fit, you'll keep coming back to their clinic. Cause I'm assuming there's some clinics you maybe don't want to go do a surgery at, you know, like how yes, do you find but, that? But we're not going to talk about those in a public forum. Um, so, I mean, I haven't onboarded a clinic in years now. Uh, it, it's a, it's a group uh, that actually has shrunk over time. Both my territory and my number of clinics have shrunk over time. Uh, many of them I consider close personal friends. We've been, we've gone on trips together. We, we've, you know, we, we, we have a pretty close relationship. And uh, another thing I love is we commonly have pretty deep conversations in the OR with the nurses. 
because you know we see each other all the time yeah i do remember that the you know it's strange to think about this but once you get pretty comfortable with surgery the or is a phenomenal place for for chatting you know because there's all this time you can't go anywhere and that's where you really get to know people so that, that's a good point actually yeah very true yeah and so i i know through all the conversations we've had uh, you have an, an excellent schedule, it seems like. So you are doing surgeries Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. Is that that correct? I do now. It didn't used to be that way. It used to be seven days, and I, I was on call seven nights for four or five emergency clinics. So I used to work a ridiculous number of hours because the way I was trained was we never say no. So I literally used to leave in the middle of dinner, of dinner to go cut a, a GDV. Mm-hmm. That's no exaggeration. It's happened multiple times. Yeah. How did or, you learn to say no? That took, that took years. Um, it took discovering other ways, and I know we'll talk about passive income, to get the freedom I needed to, to cut down my schedule and to learn to say no. So there was years of learning and it's still difficult it's still very difficult for me to say no was that a psychological barrier or a monetary barrier and if it's both which i'm assuming which do you think drove it more phil it was never monetary that's never been a driver it was ethical okay you know if i don't go cut that hemo abdomen at 3 a.m that dog's gonna die and i couldn't live with that interesting yeah that is that is a tough one and especially um i i'm speaking here for myself now i as a gp i could kick the case down the road right these train wreck cases i could say this needs a referral that was my escape card, right? Now I've alleviated myself of the responsibility and sent it to the referral clinic. If you're the last line of defense and you're the guy, as you said, that has to come cut this hemo abdomen, um, I imagine that really intensifies that sense of responsibility. It does, which is why it's still hard for me to say no. Well, such an important point. But there, there comes a point where you have to set boundaries because, you know, not to be too vulnerable again in a public forum, but when you work seven days and I don't know, two, three, four nights every week. And you, you, because remember way back when I didn't have wonderful nurses helping me. So I used to do everything, including rewrapping. And just because of the way I, I, I was set up with the autoclave situation, I had to literally stare at my autoclave. Well, not really, but I had to wait for two, three. The busier I got, the later I had to go to bed because I had to, to do multiple autoclave cycles. So, you know, I used to survive on three, four hours of sleep for years. And I, I could foresee that one day I would fall asleep at the wheel and kill myself or kill a family of five. So that, that's, that's, that's what had to stop. It was just not sustainable. Uh, even though it's as a surgeon, it's very easy to feel like a superhero because you're called at 3 a.m. This dog is dying and you do whatever you do in surgery and you save a life and you leave. It, you know, it's thrilling. 
it's not for everybody, but you, every time I save a life, it's a, it's a pretty good feeling. Not everybody can say that. So at some point it, it could become addictive. Not, not that I was addicted in any way, but it, 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 it's, that's why it's so hard to say no. Every time you save a life, it's a good feeling. And that is a tough one. Cause I mean, you deserve to feel good about saving that life. Like, you know, we've, we've mentioned ego a few times and I can see what you're saying where it can, it's a slippery slope. Like it can slip away on you. But that being said, you, when you do a great service and save a life, you know, there is a, it's valid to feel good about that. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, I guess, what advice would you have on that sort of slippery slope, you know, balancing boundaries with this adrenaline rush and also doing such a like good work of saving lives. Yeah. I mean, this is the curse of veterinary medicine. You know, it's the same for any GP at at five or 6 PM who has a client show up with a pet in pain. What do we do? Do we see the pet or do we set boundaries and we say, absolutely not. I deserve a break. My team deserves a break. You know, boundaries is, is, are one of the, toughest concepts to 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 handle in our field one of our one of my colleagues and and uh former podcast guest on here dr greg andrews talks about a dopamine hit every time that you save a life you get a thanks doc you get that dopamine hit and it gets really hard to get away from i mean that's why most of us got in practice to begin with is to help humans and patients. Yeah. And so, so when I look at it now, Phil, um, you know, X number of years down the road and you have this Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday schedule, much more balance, many more boundaries in your life. What are you tactically doing to maintain those boundaries? Right. Cause it's one of those things at any moment you could stop and it could all come flooding back. Like it's not like the requests have gone away per se. So how do you maintain that? Yeah, so that, that's been the hardest thing. When, when I told people, because it didn't happen instantly, I think I, I went from seven to five, and then four, I believe, and then three, pretty cold turkey. Um, I mean, it, the, the, the surgery days shrunk very quickly over a very short period of time. So when I announced that to my family, to my nurses, they all looked at me and they said, yeah like that's going to happen. There's no way you're not going to end up with, you know, a half a day here and there. But overall, I can't even remember one exception. It, it just had to stop. I, 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 it, like I said, it was not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, good for you, Phil. Um, you know, sometimes people will, will have those moments where something has to stop, but then not take action on it. So, I mean, it's amazing. And I, I have only got to know you recently. So I only know Monday to Wednesday surgery, Phil, and you live a cool life. Like every time I talk to you, you're doing something interesting. So what are you doing when you're not cutting things and doing surgery? Oh, um, a lot. So again, not to be too vulnerable, but I have a severe medical condition that makes me take on a lot of stuff it's called shiny object syndrome sos yeah sos aptly aptly named um 
you know, that's my also my problem is that I'm interested in a lot of different things, uh, not just in, interested, passionate. So, I mean, I, I don't think you want that podcast to last six hours. So we, we would definitely put people to sleep. So my latest endeavor might be my favorite, really, um, because I, I really think it can change not to use big fancy words, but it, it, it can change the way we do things in vet medicine. And uh, we started it before COVID. Uh, I co-own a general practice. So we, we test everything in our general practice and it was the best thing ever. So we thought we, we had to, to share this with colleagues. So everybody knows that the front desk is one of the most stressful places at a, at a practice uh, because you're constantly juggling between life people in front of you. This is before COVID and people calling in. So people calling in are placed on hold all the time and people in front of you are interrupted all the time. So instead of just acknowledging that, you know, that's a fact of life and we are going to have a high turnover with very unhappy people up front, we decided to do something about it. So we outsourced our front desk, not to the back room, not upstairs, out of the building completely. And, and we started to recruit receptionists in other states even. Um, and it literally changed uh, the, the, the morale at the front desk. It also allowed us to elevate some receptionists to assistant which helped our problem, quote, in the back as well. So we fixed two problems at once. And then, like I, like I said, long story short, uh, right before COVID, we launched a company called Kronos to help other practices do what we do. And then COVID hit and we exploded because suddenly it was the best thing ever. So it was, you know, right thing at the right time. And, and Phil, just to clarify for me, um... So you have taken all incoming phone calls is that, and they, they redirect and they go off-site to a company that you started, which is full of receptionists that you guys have trained for the veterinary industry. No, they are very experienced veterinary professionals. So some have been receptionists, some have been technicians, some have, some have been managers, and because of life, you know, either they're physically broken or they were on the verge of burnout or they have family circumstances. We have a couple of army wives who just couldn't keep a job for more than two years. Well, now they have a job for life wherever they are and they love it. It's literally, we had a, a team meeting yesterday. It, it's, it's really the most energizing, happiest team meeting I have ever attended. They're all happy. They're, they all know each other on a first name basis. It, it, it's just a fantastic group. We're getting close to 50 employees. Uh, so it keeps growing and growing. And they're the happiest receptionists and nurses I've ever met. That's amazing. Yeah, I know, yeah, I know Jonathan, you're, got, you're gonna have stuff to chime in here. So I know about a small company that's starting off and doing this in, in Canada, which is fantastic and a need on such a, great level for your employees with Kronos. I would assume that these receptionists then work within multiple vet clinics at once. They don't. We, we thought we would do that, you know, like the old time um, switchboard 
Exactly. That's what I'm people, trying to figure out is how does the, how it, does the structure of your tasks? It, it just, it doesn't work that way. It's much better to have them dedicated to one practice. So they know the patients, they know the team, because uh, they're really just an extension of the team. So they, they, they know the people inside the building. They know the most common patients and clients on, you know, they know their names. So it's much better. It's much better um, customer service that way. And from that standpoint, then, if they are directly related to only one clinic, they would still be contracted from Kronos to that individual clinic. So that would be then a, a negotiation or a contract that you've, you've or, or whoever's in charge of that have set up with the, those clinics. Is that That's correct? exactly right. That is so interesting. And from that standpoint, technology-wise, I'm assuming you're using VoIP phones or some other setup? Exactly. Mm-hmm. See, this is what I mean. I didn't even know about this. Or, or if you had mentioned it before, I had forgotten about it. But when you started telling this story, I was like, I have no idea which of his businesses Phil is talking about right now. <laughs> you know, um, As we keep drilling into sort of these business concepts, you said something early, um, interested versus passionate, right? So you said, oh, I'm interested in lots of things. Then you corrected yourself and you said, no, actually I'm passionate. Can you kind of help the listener walk through how Phil decides, is this just an interest or no, this is I'm all in, I'm passionate, you know, and which things to pursue? Because with shiny object syndrome, there's lots of things to potentially pursue. Well, there's a great modern philosopher who uh, recorded a podcast recently who explained the importance of being open to opportunity. His name is Mike Bug, a ball (laughs) hockey professional. And I couldn't agree more. These are opportunities that are out there for everybody to see, but sometimes they don't see them or seize the opportunity. Uh, I like uh, how you said that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I should start a company for bumper stickers. So, um, I mean, everything I've done came across my, my, my eyes or my awareness and I just jumped on it. And so, and you know, I don't want anybody to think that everything I've done succeeds. There's some things that I did, uh, and either stopped because it just didn't fit in my life or because it failed or, you know, there's been many other endeavors. Yeah. How do you... Oh, sorry, Mike, can I jump in? Yeah, you go ahead. Just speaking about the interest, the passion, and uh, not to go specifically into failures, but there has to have been some passions that have, you know, dissipated back into interests or what you thought would be a passion that really wasn't one. Have you learned over time? Because you are involved in a lot of businesses and a lot of different passions. For our listeners, have you figured that out in terms of how to take a passion that's not going well and when to cut the axe on it? Yeah, I I, I cut a couple recently, um, and I truly loved them. I, I thought it was really fantastic ideas, not because I invented them, but because of the response I got. So one was called uh, VIP, um, Veterinarians in Paradise. And it was literally CE uh, at resorts in the Caribbean. So I did, I don't know, seven, eight trips over time. 
uh, and every single one was fantastic. My attendees loved every single moment. Um, it was a lot of work and it's it just become, even though I still love it, I, I would do it in a heartbeat, but it was just too much on my plate. And the too much in terms of coordination and being the guy and getting it all set up. Yeah. Yeah. The return versus others. And I'm not talking monetary return, but everything else. That was non-existent actually. Yeah. It, because it's, you know, you can't charge an arm and leg, otherwise nobody will go. Uh, because it was all, also open to technicians. So we, we had quite a few uh, nurses over the years uh, join us. So I, I made it extremely affordable. Yeah. And I know, Phil, you've told me about that one before and had said how it started, you know, kind of traditional classroom. And then you're like, wait a minute, let's get this outside. And then next thing you know, it was all lectures are on the beach in sandals or like in bare feet. Um, you know, and I like how you kept iterating, you know, you, you, version one could be improved. So you improved it, you changed it. And I think that's, that's the journey of, you know, an entrepreneur and of a business owner is constantly adjusting. Yeah. The first year was super serious. Uh, you know, I created a whole bunch of PowerPoints and it was in a dark freezing room. And I thought, well, this is stupid. I mean, that's not paradise. No, that's not paradise. So we eventually um, did some CE and this was all super legit, super serious. Okay. Well, serious may not be the right word, but it was legit CE. So then we took it to the bar and then eventually we ended up at the beach and we never looked back. So every lecture was without PowerPoints at the beach, feet in the sand. Legit CE. Yeah, I love it. That's my kind of CE. And I, I, I think one, I think the maybe the second year, we had one attendee miss one class because of the pig flu. If you remember the pig flu, mm-hmm. and we have never had a single attendee miss a single class ever. So it was legit. No kidding. Yeah, that's a good. That's the mark of good CE when people aren't ducking out to go do something else. Yeah, and it's something because it was really very, very nice resorts. Okay, Phil. So I want to, I'm going to sort of pivot, staying on the business theme. Um, a question I have for you is you're obviously a very successful veterinarian, board certified surgeon. Why would someone, why would, especially a board certified surgeon, uh, need or want multiple streams of income? It's hard for me to answer because that was never the primary motivation. It was just something that I thought might be cool to do or, or, or to try. You know, like like Kronos, it never it was never meant to be a business. It was supposed to help our receptionists treat our clients better, and then it eventually morphed into um, a company. Um, so it was it was really by chance. And then COVID, my God, best thing ever. Of course, I'm kidding. I don't want to offend anybody here. Um, but in terms of curbside setup, you couldn't have asked for a better situation for remote reception services. Without a doubt, we needed that. We need that still, even in this modified hybrid version that is existing in many practices. Absolutely. Yeah. So we help many practices with, with um, online uh, remote payments, forms. Mm-hmm. Etc. In addition to the traditional customer service, 
Um, so it, it's hard for me to answer, Mike. Um, although once I discovered passive income, it did help me cut down to three days. So in that sense, multiple streams of income have helped me um, stop the, the craziness of the initial schedule. Yeah, and I, mean, I, I, without putting words in your mouth, I'm assuming this circles back to, to freedom again, like the passive streams of income, allowing more choices in your life. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I remember um, specific locations where I was and I would receive an email saying, uh, you got this in your account. And I was, you know, in some beautiful area. It's, it's really hard to beat. So what was, was that the moment or what was the moment when we'll say like the light bulb went on where it was like, this passive income is amazing and I want to do more of it. So that I can tell you, because I, I, I remember the moment. It was a snow day. Um, all my surgeries got canceled. School got canceled. And we decided to go um, tubing. And we literally worked like giggling, like little kids. And we were coming down the slope. And I was thinking, it's 10 a.m. I would probably be doing a TPLO right now. And it, it, it was it was really a huge aha moment. Nice. Um, so, and, and there's no question that that passive income it, to me is is the best way to do that. And there's a million ways to do it. You know, you can own twenty clinics or, or six or two or one, or you can do passive income the way we understand it. Phil, that story, um, I couldn't be smiling more. I could picture you. Um, I, you know, going down and when you said giggling, I was really laughing there, but I mean, you really captured it. I, I think sometimes when we get on money conversations and we talk about multiple streams of income and passive income, people can very quickly go to the point of, oh, these guys just want to be rich and it's all about money. And the, the fact is it's almost never actually about money, right? It's about no, it that feeling of giggling while you're tobogganing down the hill on a snow day it's about freedom but uh, you know no matter how you slice it money helps you achieve that freedom unless you want to live like a monk um, that's not really my thing yeah so what was your very first like passive income like form of passive income the first dollar you earned passively I'm not sure I've ever shared that story. So it'll be a first. It was actually uh, during my first real job as a, as a surgeon, a client approached me and I knew nothing about passive income. Absolutely nothing. I was very interested in personal finance at the time, but the more traditional way, stocks, bonds, mutual funds. Um, and he said, I could help you be the bank. And I had no clue what that was. I mean, I was a baby surgeon, right? Didn't make a whole lot of money. But he said, he, he explained it. He said, uh, I can help you find um, a loan. You give me X number of dollars and I'll give you X percent in return every month passively. 
and the first deal worked flawlessly. I trusted him, you know. We had, we had a pretty uh, good relationship, pretty close relationship because he had a, a doxy that got paralyzed and I put him back together. So, you know, we, we got closer than I would with most clients because it was pretty intense. Um, so I'm glad I did because it literally, it, it started, it, it sparked the interest in passive in, in income and I started to read voraciously to learn more. Uh, so... Um, th there's a, literally a million ways to, to, to apply the concept of passive income, um, but making a loan is probably the easiest and the safest. Yeah, that's where you get in. You're, you know, you've stopped trading your time for money. Your money is just creating more money. Right. Yeah. Okay, Phil. Well, I mean, it's obvious as I chat with you, it's nice to go back and, and see where was like the nidus of this, where did the spark form? And then since then, it's obviously become quite a passion of yours. Uh, moving into uh, the Veterinary Financial Summit, which you are a co-founder of, and correct me if I got my dates wrong, but I believe that's coming up uh, September 18th and 19th here in a couple weeks. Correct. Tell the listeners a little bit about uh, the Veterinary Financial Summit, because in classic Phil um, fashion, you know, you found an interest, which turned into a passion and you thought, Hey, we need to do more. So you created a summit. Right. It's um, it almost happened exactly like that. I was talking to a colleague in Virginia, Meredith Jones, casually about our interests. And we talked about our respective or mutual, mutual passion for personal finance, which is very rare. You know, it, few vets say, oh, I love personal finance. Uh, but we did, and we we exchanged stories, and we were commenting that few colleagues love it or are set up correctly. Many of them think it's boring. Uh, yet it's a struggle. You know, there's multiple studies that show that it's the number one concern of our colleagues whether it be student debt or retirement or not having enough to live on, uh, it's the number one concern above anything else. Um, so we were challenging each other to try to help colleagues. How can we help more colleagues? And we didn't come up with a better solution than launching a, a conference and a community, um, which had never been done before. In fact, uh, quite a few people told us, well, there's a reason it was never done before because it won't work uh, because nobody cares. So we kind of proved that our colleagues do care and they do want to retire one day. Uh, many of them are interested in personal finance. Some of them are interested in practice finance and we provide a platform for both at the same time. Um, so the conference, uh, this is the second edition. It's virtual again this year, <clears throat> excuse me for safety reasons. Um, but it's cool because it allowed people from really far away to join us virtually, whereas it's not very likely they would have joined in person. So last year we had um, vets from um, New Zealand, South Africa, England, Cyprus, and of course, the US and Canada. 
this here we have a couple of people in Asia. So it's really cool to see that thanks to the podcast or online research, um, they, they find the, the they find out what we do and they join us. So yeah, I think it's I mean it's amazing. I remember the first time I don't know if it was an ad or I stumbled on a piece of the social media long before I had ever met you, Phil or Meredith, and I was so excited. I was like, "There's a veterinary financial summit," and I think. This is pre-COVID. I think you guys were planning in person in Texas or something like that. Exactly. And for me, September is is harvest time where I help the, the family farm. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get down to Texas in September, but I am. And then COVID hit and it went virtual. I, I loved it. I thought it was one of my favorite conferences, but this is my sort of wheelhouse. Um, one last thing I'll, I'll say is I don't know who said this. Um, there's two things in life that are going to affect you, whether you care about them or not. And that's your health and your finances. You know, so when we're talking to listeners and if that did strike a nerve where they're like, you know what? I don't really care about my personal finances. I'm not interested. Unfortunately, this is one of those things where life doesn't care if you're interested or not, your finances are going to affect you, affect you. So yeah. I yeah. don't know who's said it, but I think you should take the credit. It, it, well, I will. That's that's ninety nine percent of this podcast is I just take credit. the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that could be my second bumper sticker. I love it. I, I like this bumper sticker idea, Phil. I think we'll have to get one fired up here. Veterinary bumper stickers. Yeah, another shiny object. Oh yeah, I was going to say Phil's eleventh business of the year. So, so for any listeners. Um, that are maybe interested in the Veterinary Financial Summit. As we said, it's coming up in September. Um, where can they track down some more information on that, uh, get tickets, uh, attend? Yeah, so we thought of, of a really creative name for the website. So we decided to call it vetfinancialsummit.com. And on there, you have access to the podcast, the community, the blog, and the summit. So you click on Summit. And then there's a magical way to help you get tickets. Nice. And uh, yeah, I was uh, in contact with Meredith and you and Meredith have been very generous. And somewhere around here, um, there's going to be some promo codes for 25% off. I'm, I'm hinting at all of our people in the background here to, to get those uh, promo codes somewhere around this episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll be attending. I look forward to it every year. Anything to add on it, Phil? Uh, any Any other... I know you guys did some some new additions this year. You have a mastermind component, mm -hmm. um, which is, sounds very interesting to me. Yeah, so your listeners are absolutely welcome to join. There's two ways to join. One, they could go to the to the website and pay full price, or they can be on alert for your promo and pay 25% less. I probably shouldn't say that, but I just did. Um, so the mastermind is something we're launching this year. Um, it's going to be a, a, a sort of a subset of the big group uh, because we want to keep it very small. Um, and the goal is to help not one-on-one, -on -one, but in a very close, tight-knit group, a few colleagues to reach their financial goals, whatever that might be. It could be um, acquiring a practice. It could be uh, funding a wedding or a trip or a down payment on a house. It could be literally anything. 
It could be one goal or it could be 10 goals. And we'll meet virtually once a month and we will hold them accountable so that whatever happens, we'll do everything we can to help them reach their goals by the end of that one year. That is excellent. How many people are you keeping it down to for the mastermind? We'd like to limit it to 20 people in two different groups. And is it first come, first serve, or do they have to apply to be a part of it? We still have a few open spots left. Nice. And I mean, speaking from experience, uh, masterminds really are a way to turbocharge whatever area of your life you're digging into. I know, like for me in real estate, in finance, and in investing, it's no different, Phil, than your community of surgeons that you started there, where you said you have 115 surgeons. You get around like-minded people that all genuinely want each other to do well, and it just catapults your success. So when I heard you guys were doing a, a, a mastermind around this, I was very happy. I think the, the, the people that get into that mastermind are going to be very well served. Thank you. Yeah. Although the format is going to be different from the format you and, know, you and I know in with real estate masterminds, there's no question that I would never be where I am without the, the two ma- real estate masterminds I've been part of. It, it, it's changed everything in my head, in, in my family, in my life. It, it's been amazing. So we, we can't possibly bring that kind of, um, uh, it's a whole job. I mean, people who put up these masterminds, that's all they do. So we just don't have the bandwidth, but we can do a mini version of it and help. If we can help 20 people turn their lives around financially, man, that'll be a good year. I agree. Yeah, I think you and Meredith are doing some great things. I fully believe, you know, if we can unlock some of the the financial pressures and struggles that veterinarians face, it is a path towards helping, you know, with sort of the burnout issue and all the other things that come with being a veterinarian. So keep keep up the good work. Thank you so much. And we're going to put you to work this year. Oh, yeah. Both of you, actually, both of you. I'm excited for it. Yeah, yeah, honored honored to be uh, speaking at it again, Phil. Yeah, um, and, and I, we keep talking about vets. It's not only for vets. We're more open-minded than that. So we do have students and nurses and managers and veterinary professionals, you know, who, who work on the periphery of vet med. Nice. Okay, Phil, we're running running low on time. So we're going we're gonna to pivot over to our impact round, which is a series of questions. So we'll dive right in. Are you a cat or a dog person? Oh, wow. That's a good question. I used to be a dog person until we, um, again, opportunity. I, I rescued a cat from my, uh, during my beginning of my residency. And we've had cats only ever since. Yes. Good answer, Phil. He saw us staring him down as soon as he said dog and quickly pivoted over to cat. We're, <laughs> we're both cat people. Uh, true or false? I knew I wanted to be a veterinarian since I was a kid. Absolutely, positively. How would your friends describe what you do for a living? Crazy. Too much. Um, it depends on how they know me. Uh, my, my true friends who know a little bit of what I do, um, they, they understand I'm, I'm a surgeon. They, they get it. Um, what they don't always understand is all this stuff on the side. It is. You need a spreadsheet to keep track of it. <laughs> what is your favorite hobby? It's what I do every day. 
That's a great answer. I like that. I That's like a new that. answer too. That's I haven't good. heard that one before. What? I mean, I, 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 I'm sorry to interrupt you. I don't do woodworking because I really like my fingers the way they are. I don't, you know, I don't do, I don't collect stamps anymore. You know, my businesses are my passions. So, because, you know, I know it's going to sound weird, but people probably would, fall, many people would fall asleep reading a financial book. But to me, it's fun. Or, or, or a personal development book. That's what I read all day. Well, all day. That was a figure of speech. <laughs> what in this world are you most grateful for? Being a vet with all the doors that have opened for me. I, I think it's, to this day, I think it's the greatest profession ever. I've never, ever, ever had any kind of hint of burnout. I've been tired, exhausted, uh, but not never burned out. I, I love it. And, and it gives us so many opportunities to do so many things. I mean, Mike, you're the perfect example. You, you changed your career 180 degrees. Um, yeah, all the things I do are stem from being a vet. Well, thanks, Phil. I mean, it, it, this has been great chatting with you. And I know we, we chat somewhat frequently. So it's been great getting to know you over the years as well. Not um, enough. It'll be more. I can see more and more coming. And once all this, everything settles down, I hope to get down to the States and, and actually meet some of the people we've been meeting virtually. That'll be amazing. But thank you so much for coming on. I, we know how, how busy you are and how, how valuable your time is. Um, so we really appreciate it. Well, thank you yes. so much. Same thing, Phil. We are really excited to get this podcast uh, going with you. And uh, again, I think you know we could have a whole other podcast about other pieces of what you do day to day. And really, uh, I think from my perspective, you are, uh, and again, uh, I think you're an inspiration to what's possible. You know, we all have 24 hours in a day. To me, it is amazing what you're accomplishing with the right philosophy behind you. I think Phil has 30, it seems like. Phil maybe it has extra, seem like it. extra hidden hour somewhere he's not telling us about. Well, John, I, I don't think anybody's ever told me I'm inspiration, so I love you too. <laughs> um, good luck with your practice. And uh, Mike, keep up passive income. Nice. Okay, Phil, uh, we have one more question for you before we dive into that. If any of our listeners would like to follow along, track you down, find you, we mentioned your website already, um, but where would be a good place where they can either connect with you or follow along? Well, if they want to really be uh, interacting with me, the community uh, and the Vet Financial Summit are good places. Uh, or my website, drphilzeltzman.com. Nice. And I know um, around that Veterinary Financial Summit community, you guys do have a Facebook group um, that people can, can jump into and interact. Yeah, it's a private confidential group that nobody else has access to. All right, Phil. As always on this podcast, the last word goes to you. What message do you want to leave for the veterinary community? That's a big responsibility. Um, I wish more veterinarians would fall back in love with the profession. Um, the reason we got into the profession is to help pets or animals in general 
and their people. Uh, I think it's a very important mission. doesn't matter if it's a one pound chihuahua or 600 pound steer um, or a horse. It's irrelevant. I think we do make a difference in the world. And I'm, I, I regret seeing so much pain on our profession, whether it be financial reasons or burnout or thoughts of suicide or compassion fatigue. Um, it, it certainly is a tough, um, a tough moment in our collective history. Uh, but I, I think there's still ways to be passionate and remain passionate about the profession. It's the greatest profession on earth. Thank you for listening to the Veterinary Project Podcast. As a recap, on behalf of our hosts, the Veterinary Project Podcast will be releasing new episodes weekly. So be sure to tune in as we bring you more conversations aimed at helping you enjoy a life well lived. If you enjoyed what you heard on the show and you want to stay in the know, please like, love, and or subscribe to the podcast on the listening platform of your choosing, as we're available on all the usual suspects. If you know of others that may benefit from these conversations, we'd love it if you please share the show with them, as this will help us grow our community to reach more and more veterinary professionals. Speaking of which, if you are a veterinary professional and would like to get connected with more like-minded individuals who are joining us on this journey, please send an email to the Veterinary Project Podcast at gmail.com, and we'll invite you to be a part of our private Facebook group. General feedback, requests for information, or perhaps requests to be a guest on the show can also be sent to the Veterinary Project Podcast at gmail.com. Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light, thank you for listening to the show, and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Veterinary Project Podcast. Bye for now. Bye for now.